Have you ever wondered how the US Navy designs those 100,000 ton hunks of metal that glide across the ocean instead of sinking to the bottom like rocks? Well, the short answer, of course, is computers, but that wasn't always the case. It used to take years just to design a new ship and months sometimes to make even simple changes. In this episode, we'll meet the amazing woman who first used new technology to design ships. The book is Overnight Code, The Life of Ray Montague, the woman who revolutionized naval engineering. Ray was a single mother during the height of the Cold War, doing this work all alone. As the title indicates, she'd work many late nights. She was also a black woman born into the segregated Little Rock of 1935. That's a lot of strikes against her, but she refused to let any obstacles stand in her way, and she managed to achieve her audacious dream. Hello, history lovers, and welcome. I'm your host, Dean Carianis, and this is the History Author Show on iHeartRadio. This is a place where I love to track down hidden figures, and that's certainly what Ray Montague is, a hidden figure. She was somebody who was behind the scenes, but we all benefited from her insights and her abilities. If you've enjoyed freedom of travel or freedom of the seas, then you have people to thank like Ray Montague who designed those ships. Our Cold War victories, all of these things can be traced back to the work that Ray Montague did. And a special welcome, by the way, to those of you watching via our YouTube channel, where you can enjoy my interview with Dr. David R. Montague, who's here to share insights into his mother's career, and also Paige Bowers. Now, Paige's name may sound familiar. She previously joined us to talk about her book, The General's Niece, the little-known de Gaulle, who fought to free occupied France. You can enjoy that conversation in our archives wherever you're listening or watching now. You can find her at pagebowers.com. Paige Bowers holds a master's degree in modern European history. David Montague earned his PhD at Howard University and a BA at Morehouse College, as well as an MA in crime and commerce at George Washington. Okay, now that we've prepared to hit the high seas in the finest ships that technology has to offer, let's join Paige Bowers and David Montague to meet an incredible woman. But first, let's hear from that woman herself. Let's hear from Ray Montague, the woman who stayed up late into the evening writing Overnight Code. The day after I graduated college, I marched off to Washington, D.C., and the first group of people to call me in for an interview was the Department of the Navy. President Nixon was in office, and he called the Navy and he told them that there was a new ship design coming up, and instead of it taking the two years that it normally takes, he wanted the Navy to do the rough draft of it in two months. I brought that rascal in in 18 hours and 26 minutes. And for that, my career just took off. I'm joined via Zoom from Atlanta by Paige Bowers and from Little Rock, Arkansas by Dr. David Montague. They're co-authors of the book, Overnight Code, The Life of Ray Montague the woman who revolutionized naval engineering. Thank you both so much for making the time to chat with the History Author Show. Thank you. 
Thanks for having me back, Dean. I really appreciate it. And thanks for supporting this book. We're really excited to talk about Ray. I'm really excited to be here too. Thank you so much. Well, it's an honor really, because when I pick up a book like this and I felt like that about Paige's previous book, but this book's a little closer to our time. Of course, it's here in the United States. So I'm reading it and that's why I read history is to be inspired. And Overnight Code certainly gave me that. It gave me it in a bunch of ways and it, it makes you look at yourself and say, what could I be doing better? And why do I ever complain? And why don't I work a little bit harder when I saw this? So I think that that's a great mission to have in a book. And here we have somebody who's related to the subject of the book. So this is all makes for a really rich conversation about a really rich book. Paige, I want to start with you because you are returning to the show. You went from this book, The General's Niece, about this forgotten De Gaulle. And now here you are writing a book, Overnight Code. You're going to the bowels of the U.S. Navy Department. You're designing ships, working on engineering. So how did you end up here from there? And then how do you meet up with your co-author, who's the son of your subject? Right. What happened was I was actually working on something else. And my agent approached me about the Montagues. Um, she had seen Ray on Good Morning America in February 2017. And she thought that they had a really, that Ray had a very compelling story to tell. One thing led to another. I was launching a book in 2017, as you know. And then in 2018, I had this discussion with my agent um, about possibly doing this book. And because, you know, the way I was looking at it at the time is, is, you know, I don't want anything to be lost to history. You know, I wrote a story about this very compelling woman who, you know, lived uh, kind of in her uncle's shadow, uh, Jean-Vierre de Gaulle. And I would hate to think that, you know, this story about David's mother got lost too. And so it seemed like a very compelling um, story for me to tell. Um, and then, you know, and so one thing led to another and David and I had a conversation and then I spoke with his mother and that the rest is, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> it's so. nice when it all falls together like that. Yeah. It sounds, it I sounds mean, so I don't easy. know if it felt together. Yeah. I was just... going to say, it sounds so easy to me, but I know yeah. I'm sure it didn't. And, and you had to have all those phone calls and meetings and you had to discuss things. And yeah. that brings me right to my next question, which is you're writing about your mother, David. And I thought as I was formulating this question that there could be no closer relationship. In a way, you might rather write a memoir. So how does that happen? How do you evaluate Paige and say, yeah, she's the one, she's gonna do justice to my mother's life? Well, I will I'll certainly start off in the from the back end Paige has definitely done uh, true justice to this project. Uh, but in terms of evaluating, um, it was pretty simple. You know, I looked at information online about uh, the general's niece and not only about um, uh, uh, it uh, in terms of, of what it covered, but looked at some of the publicity and marketing things that, that uh, Paige did, some of the uh, ways that she tried to reach different audiences with it. And she just seems so engaging just on, on paper. When I say on paper, meaning online, as I'm looking at this, and I was actually talking to my mother about it. Uh, and so, you know, when I talked to her and I said, you know, this, this is, this is the person I think. And, you know, we got on the phone and uh, literally within about five minutes of talking, 
my mother and I both knew that, you know, after the engaging kind of conversation we had, this is the person that can really tell the story the right way. You know, instead, and, and basically my mother was like, you know, you need to do your due diligence and help and do research and so forth and find information. But this is somebody that I trust to be able to dig um, and, and find things and describe things in a way that, that really tells a much broader story than simply just about a career. It's about what she did as a person to inspire other people. I love how she, she gives you an assignment right off. Go ahead. She <laughs> is like that. She was like that. I mean, um, when I spoke with Ray for the very first time, I remember thinking of the, that this was supposed to be a conversation where we were kind of feeling each other out to see whether the fit was good. And <laughs> like, so like about five minutes into this conversation, she started going, like telling me her whole entire life story. She goes, you have that? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, so we're doing this. <laughs> supposed to write um, it down, yeah. I said, I thought we were just gonna, um, we were just gonna kind of see whether this was a good fit. She goes, no, I already decided I liked you. I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like this is very um, no nonsense. Uh, she made up her mind and that's how it went. And it was originally supposed to be a memoir. Actually, I was supposed to help her get it down. And the, the project was originally uh, presented as such. And unfortunately, she passed away right as it found a buyer. But we were able to shift gears and um, turn it into the biography that you have on your shelf. And I hope lots of people will want to pick it up and have it on their shelf because definitely worth it. And that's something that I'm going to bring up because to me, all of these history books are they're kind of a how-to, right? They say there's no manual that comes with life or <laughs> raising children or any of the things we have to do. And we all like to feel sorry for ourselves a little bit that way if we go too far and say, well, nobody told me these things. And that's something I always try to do here is I try to tell people, well, there are roadmaps. There's people who've gone this way before and they've had hard times and they've overcome them and they can inspire us. If we'll go find the book, read the book and research it, and that's something that happens right here in Overnight Code. In fact, there's a phrase that I wanted to ask you both about in turn. I'll start with you, Paige. It's kick like the devil and holler for help. Tell me what you uh, think of that. Well, I it, kick like the devil and holler for help is something that Ray's mother told her. When you ever run into trouble, kick like the devil and holler for help. And when I, I had never heard it before Ray was talking about it. And originally I wanted, I was hoping the book would be called Kick Like the Devil because I thought it was a little punchy, but I think it's a pretty relatable thing. We all um, run into problems every once in a while in our life. And, um, you know, you gotta fight your way out of it. And if you can't do it on your own, then holler for help. There are people around you, um, if you're lucky, who will uplift you and um, help you uh, get around your obstacles that are in, or the obstacles that are in your way. And that's what it meant to me. And I mean, it was very much a phrase that as I wrote, I connected it with almost every chapter in some way. It was there, just all, every page. So that's what it meant to me. And you, David, did you grow up hearing that often or? Is that something that, that just jumped out at you from the book? 
I, I heard it growing up every, every now and then. It wasn't that frequent, but a lot of times uh, it, was, it was words of advice that I would hear her give when she would go and do presentations. You know, she was very active with her women's group, The Links, and she was also active with Alpha Kappa Alpha, uh, Alpha Sorority. And uh, when she was in the Washington, D.C. area during her career, you know, as a, as a kid, I would accompany her to the link of it. And she would give that kind of advice. And, and really what she, um, you know, when she would say it, she would put it in the context of people are going to throw obstacles in your way. And when they do, you know, you just, you know, uh, find a way around it, keep kicking, keep scratching, clawing, do whatever you have to do. Uh, and then try to find a way, like Paige said, to get assistance to get around those obstacles. And, and, and I think the important part that's really not connected with the phrase, but she did emphasize to people is understand that you're not going to win every battle, but it's important that you try really hard and to win the war. And so I think that's really important to just add to this interview is that even when she retired and she moved back here to Little Rock, when she would go to uh, local um, uh, schools and professional associations and talk to them for their professional training sessions, they counted for continuing education and even in the prisons talking to uh, people that are incarcerated, she emphasized the same thing, you know, and she said, this is really important for you to understand that you have to just keep fighting and people are going to throw obstacles in your way. Uh, and sometimes it's, there are obstacles that you just need to overcome, like you need to how to do something, but there are people that intentionally throw, throw artic, uh, obstacles in your way. And she literally created a PowerPoint that she was using kind of as a canned presentation that she, she phrased it turning obstacles into challenging situations. And so basically just repackaging, but it's the same thing. In her mind, you know, you have to try to fight to win. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier in your interview, nobody has a clear uh, blueprint for how to live life, but you have to try your best to find the right path for you and to be flexible. And so really that's a lot packed into one little phrase, but I'd say a lot of times when she said it, she was kind of laughing when she did it. Like she got over on somebody that tried to put <laughs> one over on her. So she would just say, kick like the devil, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, David, about the cover photo of Overnight Code, because here we see Ray Montague. She's focused so intently on the model of a submarine chaser, I believe it is. And I thought to myself, hmm, I'm going to put myself in your shoes. You're, you're a little kid. You're going in there. You're, you know, kids don't have any patience, right? And we always have something we're excited about. When you see her like that, do you approach her? Do you wait? Was there a rule? How did she manage to wear those two hats that seem so different? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, you're right. I, I actually did see her. I spent a lot of time at the at the Naval Sea Systems Command growing up. Uh, in fact, my mother, when the, the Navy honored her and, and, and we went up to Washington, D.C. to be uh, honored at, at, at NAVC, at Naval Sea Systems Command, she she made a joke uh, to the audience that uh, she that I spent so much time. I was really like a child of the Navy, you know, myself, <laughs> even though I've never been in the military, per se, you know, so. Uh, and, and also joked that because she was a single parent and the Navy needed her to travel so much, she kind of found a way to kind of mix work and personal together to, to really expose me to lots of things. So she joked with the Navy uh, that uh, I got a chance to travel the United States on the Navy's dime uh, <laughs> back a long time ago. But, you know, to be more specific on your question, you know, I would, I, 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 you know, I took a, a learning, it was a learning curve for me as obviously as a little kid 
Uh, but when I, I knew for a, a fact, I'm not sure exactly what age, but when I would see her at the office, I knew she was focused on work. And, and I never felt as though I couldn't ask her about something, but somehow I was, I guess she instilled in me knowing how to use discretion to, so if she's busy having a meeting with somebody or talking to someone, unless it's really an emergency, kind of give her some time and, and then approach her about something. Um, but but um, she always would make time for me and would balance, you know, uh, and, and I just, it's amazing to me that, you know, as busy as she was, all the committees, all the um, um, uh, boards of directors and things and, and travel that she did and, and late night work, she still found time to switch those gears and attend the parent teacher meetings, take me to bowling on Saturday, take me to my Cub Scout meetings. Um, she was active with me, baking cookies for me to take to school and just made, made it work. And, um, and it really instilled in me that, you know, if she could do that, then since I didn't have a father figure in my life growing up, now that I'm a father, that meant I can do that too. But I saw her do that balance um, effortlessly, in my mind, effortlessly. I know it was a lot of effort for her uh, to do that, but she never let me know that it was a struggle for her to, to make sure that I was important in her life. Something I'm thinking to myself, all these things, now she's taking you to go bowling and she's baking cookies. And I thought, when does this poor woman sleep? And then I realized, oh, right. That's why it's called overnight code because she didn't have much time to, to sleep. Yeah, and I, I don't know how, I, I'll tell you, I am not very good at that. I will confess to switching things. And I'd like to do one thing at a time and it takes all my mental energy. And I'm, I'm still maybe a cranky little kid where I don't want to switch. Here she's in eighth grade. She says, I want to be an engineer. And the other eighth graders are saying, oh, you want to drive a train? You mean that kind of engineer? It's just uh, incredible to me that she knows. And that's such a blessing in its own right. But it's an audacious dream for any child to pick out of eighth grade who doesn't know how much technology is going to change, how much they're going to have to learn. Here she is, a black girl, and she's in segregated Little Rock. So she had to look up to somebody. You talked about not having a father figure. Who does she look up to when she makes that audacious plan? When she says, that's my goal, I'm going to be an engineer. Whose shoulders did she stand upon? Uh, I would have to say my grandmother, Flossie. Uh, you know, my mother used to always say that my grandmother, Flossie, was the, the, the wind beneath her uh, wings. And, um, you know, always made her feel that she could accomplish what she could and and I remember my mother telling the story of when she was young because my, my grandmother actually passed for white in Arkansas and uh, they were on a bus one day and my mother really didn't understand she knew there was differences in terms of of, of, of what was going on with segregation and so forth very young but it didn't really hit home for her until she was on a bus one day and my grandmother picked her up and put her on her lap and then all of a sudden the bus driver stopped and made and made her her um, uh, move out. I don't know if they were in the, 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 the white portion of the bus or not, but basically they just got off the bus because a lot of people started talking and it became very stressful uh, and embarrassing. And so um, the bus driver gave them a hard time. And so my, my, my mother, um, my grandmother always uh, worked very hard to, to make my mother feel like even though um, not just based on race, but based on gender as well, uh, there were so many obstacles in the way. And I, one example was that, you know, my, my mother want, didn't want to take home economics. And, you know, in those days, if you were a girl in, in school, 
you took home economics and the boys took shop. And my mother was like, well, I like playing around with stuff and building things. And I don't want to take, I have no interest in, in cook. I mean, I can follow a recipe, but the, you know, and, and so my grandmother went to bat for her uh, with the school because that's a fight against the school district, you know, at that point, fighting policy uh, and fighting and finding these perceptions about gender roles uh, very early on. And so uh, I would definitely say my mother, uh, my grandmother uh, heavily influenced my mother. And in fact, when my mother moved uh, to Washington, D.C. and joined the, and worked, started working for the Navy, my grandmother actually sold her shop. Her, she had a, a hair salon and moved to Arkansas to help raise me when my father left. So um, I would say her and then also I would say uh, Irma Holiday in terms of a non-relative was a school teacher of hers when she was teased like you mentioned before about wanting to be an engineer and Irma Holiday was one of her teachers and pulled her aside and told her it's okay to dream bigger than other people around you understand at that point in their lives uh, and that she should aim for the stars and at the worst she could reach the moon and then later on she was able to actually do a project with NASA and to be able to contact uh, Irma Holiday and let her know uh, that she she really took that advice to heart. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing life. And not something that just drops in her lap by any means. And that's part of this inspiration that I got from it. And then I'm thinking of all those engineering things and computing things. And I wanted to ask you, Paige, because you had the job to decode all of this code, so to speak. How did you figure out how to dig into that? How much did you have to really do? Or was it more life story stuff? I mean, I felt like you had to talk about the the technology and the engineering, um, which was daunting for me because I was never much of a math and science student. So I felt like the bar was really, really high. And so I did a lot of reading about the history of ship design, which was manual up until the point when his mother um, really transformed it. And it was this very long, laborious process where, you know, everything is drawn by hand and measured and, um, you know, set to a certain degree to, to hold a certain amount of sailors. And if you add two more, then maybe you have to add more feet, and more propulsion. So all the calculations that you did on this ship would have to be redone. And there's like a ton of calculations. You'd have to move like pipes and things like that, depending on how you change the ship. And the longer, you know, the more changes that an admiral would ask for as you were drafting by hand, the longer this would take and the more money it would cost. So computers were something that could make these alterations swiftly, do these calculations swiftly and take a lot of time and money off the usual cost of building a ship. Um, they, you know, ships would take a, like years, three to five years, say, and cost millions and millions of dollars. When David's mother drafted a ship design using a computer, she did it in 18 hours and 26 minutes, which is amazing. <laughs> but I did I a lot have done of reading. It if I started. Right. Well, the bar, the bar was high right there, and I felt like it was something that had to be explained well, and it had to be explained in a really accessible way, so that people could understand why what she did was so remarkable. 
I mean, for me, like when I write, I try to think about this life as a whole, but this, in this, this moment was really important to, to the whole sweep of it. And so I had to get that right. I love that you talk about your grandmother there and the role that she played. And I wanted to ask a question about that that occurs to me as I'm reading the book and then as you're speaking about her. And that's that day that young Ray decides, I'm gonna take a new walk home from school. Now, if, you, if you're a parent, right? And you're saying, oh, okay, she's not there. She's not in the usual place. She just disappeared. Your mind starts running away with you and you, you have all kinds of worries. And she explains to her, you can't do that. You can't just go. You should go with, the, with your friends and make sure you get there. And she says, I needed to try new things and see where they led. That was me always wanting to investigate. And I just love that because I like that too. I took apart those toys when I was little and I couldn't put them back together. Of course, David, your mother could have put them back together, but I wanted to see how it worked. And I like problem solving in other ways, things like even putting together an interview, let's say, or, or other things that I do writing. It's like, there's always a problem to be solved and you want to try different ways. And so I wanted to ask, how did that drive that she had to find new reasons, to find new ways to get to places, to solve problems, to not just be in a rut and do the same thing every time because, well, it was easy and that was your routine and let me stick to my routine. How does that help her and drive her to reach new goals in her career and to revolutionize, which is not a word that's casual here in the subhead of Overnight Code, to revolutionize naval engineering? Well, you know, she used to tell people, uh, especially at the professional associations when she would talk to them, and she did this, I mean, early on, you know, and uh, that, you know, never let the grass grow, you know, beneath your feet, uh, you know, always try to find if you're comfortable where you are, then and you feel like that's really where you're meant to be. That's one thing, but never feel like you shouldn't have the courage to, to, to try something new, you know, and, and I think one important thing that um, that I saw my mother do and I think what drove her is that she always believed that you need to use all your life experiences, whether positive or negative, in some way to help move you to the next level or figure out what direction to go along a path. And so, um, you know, I, I'll give you an example. You know, uh, you know, when she wanted to go to college, she wanted to study engineering and uh, the University of Arkansas Fayetteville, you know, had the, the undergraduate, you know, engineering program but they didn't accept minorities. And they've actually posthumously given her the Silas Hunt Award to recognize that that was the case back then. Uh, and so she ended up studying, she wanted to study engineering. And so since that option was not available to her because of, uh, of segregation, um, she ended up studying business at what's now University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, but it was AM&N uh, in, in the 50s. And um, that turned out to be an advantage for her as a matter of fact, because she, already knew she wanted to go into engineering. She just needed the opportunity to learn computers and the basics of computers and structure and theory and those types of things. And then of course, later ship hole design and all those things. But the, the irony is that as she rose in her career as, as, as a, first an analyst and then an engineer, when she finally got to senior levels within the Navy, uh, she found that that business degree that she ended up by default doing because she wasn't allowed to study engineering, gave her the ability to not only do the engineering well, but to perform as a government manager, you know, which, which so basically what I'm saying is she really felt this drive to use whatever 
you get, whatever lemons you get, turn it into lemonade and find the right way to, to make it taste just the right way for you. I also wanted to mention what you alluded to there. She never gets that engineering degree, right? She accomplishes all this without going through that training as a young person when she's trying to. And she doesn't let that discourage her and say, well, I guess I will go back and take that home ec class. She sticks it out and keeps trying. And the computer that she starts with, I wanted to mention this as an example of what she's dealing with here and how much is this computer, not this computer we would let do all the work for us. And that's that she starts off with the Univac computer, which is 1600 pounds, short for universal automatic computer. And I looked up the stats and my iPhone 10s here has 3.5 million times the memory and it processes over a thousand times faster. So this gives you an idea of the technology. It's it's her, she's the computer. She's the one doing the work and you probably punch cards and she's trying to work with this giant machine that you have. And even when we, when we did go to the moon, you mentioned NASA, when we did that, those computers couldn't stay on for 24 hours. That was not something you could make if you're the US government and yet, never mind what we would have had at home at the time. And that's 1969. So think about what she is dealing with as far as computer technology. It's, it's really that problem solving. It's her trying to find those new paths, no longer just to get home from school, but to do her work. And I just love that, that that puts her on that road. So I wanted to ask about that a little bit. What role does that computer play in her life in helping her on that road to revolutionizing naval engineering? Well, quite frankly, it, it just opened the, the door working on the UNIVAC itself. Um, and, you know, she was working with people that did have math, science, engineering, computer science, you know, and now computer science, math. And they science. worked on the Manhattan Project. They worked on the Manhattan Project. <laughs> and I believe degrees. Yeah. And, and, and you know, she laughed because she, she, she joked with folks that they, they asked her if she knew how to use a computer because she had a business degree. And she said yes. And the reality was she'd never seen a computer before. I don't think there was one in Arkansas at the time. So <laughs> you know, just like going back to your previous question before, she, you know, she learned to really pay attention to things and use her opportunities in a way that would help her. And she wasn't using it to get around people or over people or do take advantage of people. She just really had this desire to learn as much as possible. She was fascinated by it. And then, you know, the the just learning how to use the technology and then later on actually doing the ship systems improvement project, uh, which helped her to, you know, uh, do that impossible task. And then later that um, uh, project to do the, the, the draft of the naval ship, that just opened everything up. But she just was naturally just hungry. She claimed she had a photographic memory and she always let people's assumptions about her she used those assumptions mostly negative to her advantage and they would assume that she was not able to pay attention to what they were doing on those computers and then when they were not showing up for work or when they just refused to put in the, the, the time to get the computer like you said the computers couldn't stand all the time and they needed people to work shifts so some people just refused to do it next thing you know people trusted her and they kept promoting her just great. I just love that she's finding that route. I'm stuck on that image of using that your whole life because what a great message to anybody who's looking to get somewhere. Don't let anything stand in your way. Find a way over, under, through. Uh, that was one of the things that Theodore Roosevelt, they used to do scrambles, they called them with his brood of kids up there in, in Oyster Bay in Long Island. 
and they would just set a point and say, you're going to, you're going to make it there. Let's all, let's all race there. Scramble sounds exactly like what it is. And I feel like that's what she did. She said, I'm going to, I don't know what my route is going to be, but I'm going to get to that final end point. And, oh, Hey, you have to have a, a degree. Well, they won't give me a degree. I'll go this way. I'll watch. I'll learn with my memory. Well, that does scare me a little David to have a mother with a photographic memory. That's a little scary. I'm glad, I'm glad my mom's memory is not that good because, <laughs> I don't want her to remember all the things that I do. I'll tell you that. <laughs> You're enjoying my conversation with Paige Bowers and her co-author, Dr. David Montague. They're authors of Overnight Code, The Life of Ray Montague, The Woman Who Revolutionized Naval Engineering. You can find more on our guests via the historyauthor.com page for this episode. I want to quote your co-author from your previous book, Dr. Montague, Artemisia Stanberry. She's assistant professor of political science at North Carolina Central University. She writes here, overnight code serves as a reminder that even in the toughest of environments, if you give someone a chance, they will excel beyond expectations. It is the lesson, the story, and the life of Ray Montague. David, you and both of your co-authors here teach young people, and you are executive director of online learning and faculty mentoring at the University of Arkansas. So I read Overnight Code with an eye on that already myself because I'm interested in mentoring. I'm interested in giving people a piece of advice they could use, maybe changing somebody else's life for the better, especially young people who are struggling to find out that idea of what to major in or what do I do or uh, I, I can't do that. I can't be, I can't get an engineering degree. Too many doors are closed. So when I read that by your co-author, I said, that's just perfect because I read in Overnight Code so many things about how your mother loved to speak to kids and young adults about finding and achieving success and so here it is in book form. Here she's available, still immortal on my bookshelf. So say one of our listeners is maybe a person who's in their early 20s, maybe they're teens looking for a way to make their dream come true, or maybe they're an adult like, like all of us and they're looking to inspire somebody. They know I have a student that's smart. They're, they're really not sure what they're gonna do. They give up so easily. They have a hard time. They think everything's stacked against them with a lot of obstacles. Give us a story from your mother's career that will encourage them to stick to it and find a way to that end goal. Wow, that's a that's a great question. And, and you know, you're right. She really just truly enjoyed doing that type of public speaking. And she kind of put that in me as well. I, I love it as well. It's incredible. And and I have heard her speak to so many young people. But if 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 she were in the room right now and we're talking to a group of uh, younger people, um, and I'm in my 50s now, but if it was some 20 somethings, you know, um, I don't want there's so many stories. But but one example would be uh, how when she was early in her career and she was trying to find uh, uh, the uh, a type of project that would help really put her on the map, that would really let her uh, debut her skills and really make sure that she really had made a good career choice that she you know knew what to what what in you know, how to move forward and so she was given a project uh to be able to um uh, address a problem that had been looked at but by, by a previous uh, team of engineers for a, a while and uh they had not been able to um, make the project move forward and so this is in washington dc um and so 
you know, my mother basically started from scratch and she, she, and, and I think the, the message is, um, take your time to really look at something. If you got, a, uh, something you're trying to achieve, really understand what it takes to get it to work and, and try your best to understand all the various avenues, parts, uh, decisions that need to be made, be willing to take some risks, but also try to use your due diligence to move that project forward. So what she did was she was not having success in Washington, D.C. on that project. Uh, and she ended up on the Navy's money going up to New York and found out that there was a, a company on Wall Street, a firm, a private firm that had been helping out on that project. And so she wasn't getting the answers she wanted from the folks at the Navy. So she went up to New York, like I mentioned, and actually met with the contractor themselves and sat down and worked with them to really understand the real basics of the problem. And so to put it in perspective, if I have my iPhone right here, it would be like someone at the Navy telling her, well, you just have to just go here and just you know, hit settings or that type of thing. But it wasn't that simple. She needed to go to the folks that understood how does the technology inside the iPhone actually work. So that's what she went up and learned how to, to, to what was going on. And she was able to finally overcome uh, those obstacles and figure out how to make that project work. And so basically that kind of laid the groundwork for what later became the project that, that helped her with the draft of the first naval ship, which just opened up everything in her career. So I think her message to them would be, you know, something might look like an impossible task to you, but really give it a, a, a fair look. And not everything's impossible. You have to try to look at it objectively, try to understand what's really needed, bring in additional resources if you need to, put in the hard work and the time necessary to do that. And if, and if you really believe that that's a goal you're trying to get, then you can make it work. I just also believe deep down in her heart, if someone told Ray Montague that something was impossible, she's like, I'm going to show you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was kind of, you know, I didn't know her for nearly as long as David has. His whole life but almost. <laughs> yeah, his whole life. But like, to me, I got this distinct impression that if anyone told her you can't or this is impossible or don't go this way down the sidewalk, that was almost like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna th you know, she, it was like putting down a challenge that she was not about to back down from. So, and, and can I add one more thing? Right. The next question is, I think what helped her along and the message she would also give to those young people, in addition to what Paige is saying, is that take advantage of uh, and understand the realities of, of your situation. You know, so not only was she just trying to figure out how to achieve in this project, she was dealing with, and I'll use the $10 word variables, she was dealing with these variables you know, with uh, being a minority, being a, being a, a woman in a male-dominated field, and having to overcome those things too. So, you know, you know, you use what you have out there, and and try to understand that not everybody's going to see that you really can do that. But like Paige said, my mother did not believe that just on the surface, if you tell her something's not doable, that that's the case. And she wanted young people to believe that in, in, and really to inspire them to have more faith in themselves. Yeah. I mentioned that little bit there about how I was putting myself down and my academic abilities. And it reminded me in this context of young people that 
your mother did that with her typing skills where she would tell that story and she'd play down her abilities. And that's why I put this book, My Early Life by Winston Churchill here next to your book, Overnight Code, because I wanted it to remind me because Churchill does a lot of that in that book because he wrote it in the 20s before he was the great leader when he was kind of adrift in his career and the wilderness years, as they call them. And he wanted to inspire young people. So he always played down how good of a student he was. Struck me here in Overnight Code that your mother did the same thing, David. She would play that down. And I thought that's part of that story where she wanted to inspire people. And yet in her own life, it was so hard for her, it sounds like, to find people that she could just be friends with and just have a life. And but also that might have been a little bit of survival there for her. Well, you know, I, I think that's a very good point. And, um, you know, my, my mother actually did have a very active social uh, life, even given the obstacles and, you know, um, different uh, uh, the difficulties of, like you mentioned, you know, finding. Uh, so there weren't a lot of other women in her area early on uh, in the Navy, you know, in, in terms of doing the type of work she was doing. But um, there were certainly other women in, in some technical roles in other other areas. And they kind of had a, a network. But she, um, once she, once people realized, especially the men in male-dominated field, recognized that, hey, she's really okay. You know, she really knows her stuff. She's genuine. And she, be, she was befriended by uh, people that initially were not very friendly to her over the years. And so I think that that's a very important thing to, to mention because a lot of people that in some of the settings where you would think, well, this person makes me feel like they're going to steal my husband. And a lot of, and a lot, and then there was some of that. Um, there were a lot of folks that were like, Oh no, go, you and my husband know these, go off and talk about that. You know, it was, and, and but I do want to also add that um, uh, she did find avenues to be able to really highlight the things that she was really good at, such as playing bridge. And, you know, people that like to play bridge, they don't downplay that, that skill. And when she, 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 so she was active bridge player in two bridge clubs um, growing up, uh, her and my grandmother. And then when she moved to uh, Arkansas after retirement, she was active in two bridge clubs as well. And I think they just assumed that she might be okay. She, she went in there and just kind of said, well, I, I think I might be all right. And she went in there and knocked the socks off of them. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's, that goes back to her not backing down from a challenge, David. But also, I think one thing that, yes, yeah, she did have some challenges, um, the like the ones that you mentioned, Dean. But overall, this was a woman with some incredible people skills who never met a stranger. I mean, she's in touch with people, or she was in touch with people from all kinds of walks of her life, you know, or different parts of her life. And um, she just has a really good way with people. She asks questions. She, you know, she listened. She understood. She remembered, you know, the darndest things about people. And um, it made her a very engaging person to get to know and also a really engaging person to write about because she could tell stories, but she also could connect with you, too. And that was the magic of Ray Montague. She connected with so many people, whether it was school children or colleagues or, you know, coworkers who needed her mentoring and support. 
um, people, you know, you walk all around Little Rock right now and somebody knows Ray Montague and they have a story about Ray Montague. I mean, David and I went to go get ribs one night and the lady behind the counter at Sims is like, oh, <laughs> you know, so she was a woman who, yes, did have some challenges because here she is bright, larger than life, um, brilliant. Um, but she met people where they were and she connected with them where they were. And she was just a really special person in that regard. Can, can I add one more thing to that? Just to uh, back age. Because, no. <laughs> you know, and, and editing. Just, <laughs> it, it, I mean, one thing that I think she learned along the way, even with all those obstacles, roadblocks, is that she firmly believed that it's important to value everybody, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think because she valued everybody, it made her more open to reach out and befriend other people and get to know them. So she didn't care what you look like, where you came from, what you believed in, you know, whatever. That didn't matter to her, um, you know, because you are someone who potentially could be some, have some role relationship in her life, whether it's just as a coworker, friend, you know, a mentor, a bridge partner, whatever it might be. Uh, And I think that that's a very important lesson that I think part of what helped her to uh, do as well as she as she did socially was that she just really had an open heart and valued everybody, even though, and she made it very clear, even though that she uh, dealt with people that didn't want to treat her the same way, she never used that as a reason to be bitter and not have an open heart and, and try to provide opportunities for other people. I want to say one little tease for people listening for the book. I won't ask you to tell this story because I want them to pick up overnight code. And that's Okay, they tell many stories in history. People have a setback and they turn it into something positive. Well, here's a, a lady who she gets hit by a truck, right? And she <laughs> and she manages to turn that into a positive for her career. So you have to pick up the book to hear that one. But I did want to mention it. Also, you you talked about valuing people, getting to know them, recommending small details or remembering small details of their life. Throughout her life, you write in a footnote of overnight code. Ray enjoyed writing obituaries for people. She believed it was a service to the family and gave them a tangible recollection of a loved one. Now, Paige, a book like this one or like The General's Niece, it's in a way doing the same job. You're writing a book that's putting the perspective on their life that they lived. So I wanted to ask you, how did you go about approaching that? Because here you're looking at that little hyphen between the year somebody's born and when they passed away. You have to take that responsibility, but you also have to do what you jokingly just did there to your co-author and edit down. You can't put everything in there. So how do you do that? Um, it's really difficult because I find that I'm really fascinated by people, um, who they are, where they came from, what makes them tick, what makes them special, you know, what problems they've overcome and what you have, what you can learn from them. And um, it's very difficult to distill a life and to do it justice. Um, but I was given a really special life here um, and a tight deadline. Um, so that, that influenced it somewhat too. Um, but I, I guess when I sit down and I talk to somebody, you know, I just like to tell people what I learned from someone else, you know, 
what they can learn from someone else and um you know what makes someone special and i feel like you know if we sat down and listened to other people more you know we might find ourselves in a better place um you know, not only did I learn from David's mother in this time, but I feel like I learned a lot from David too. Um, and that to me, he's a really interesting person. Like he's talking about his mother, but he's like a whole different book in and of it's himself. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful to know him and to have been able to work with him. I well, it was really a labor of love. Did I answer your question? <laughs> I think so, because I feel the same way. So I'm nodding along yeah. with you. So it was good uh, to talk about that because yeah. you wonder, and I'm sure people listening wonder, okay, these two people are thrust together. Now, when they go off the air, are they going out and having dinner together? Simple little things like that, because you want to think that when you read a book and say, yeah. well, this is a labor of love. Who wants to read a book that is one of those that's just cranked out? And, you know, I'd rather read one as I know that some of them can be very fine, but I'd rather read a book like this. I'd rather flip it open too and find some great pictures and see that life. And that, mm -hmm. that's something that I wanted to ask you both about that. I'm sure you had to edit those down because here Ray oh Montague had, those had so many. So yeah. she had those so many. Photographs. We had <laughs> like, there were vats of photographs that David had. And we see that table right behind him. We yeah. sat at that table <laughs> and had to narrow down this trough of photographs to like 25 to 35 or something like that. And I would, he's got beautiful photographs. We don't even know who some of the people are of black life in Little Rock at the turn of the century. I wish I knew some of the stories behind these photographs. Maybe Ray knew, but they were beautiful photographs. And I'd set them aside and be like, gosh, this would make like a really good exhibit if we knew what was going on here. And then he'd say, I like my mom in this dress. I like my mom in this dress. Oh, I always <laughs> liked her in this dress. And I'm like, you can't just have these in here because you like your mom in a dress. And he goes, what are you doing? So we eventually got it down to, I think about 40. Yeah, around that. Yeah. And then we had to narrow them down by another 15. It was agonizing. It was. It was very tough. It really, but it was fun because we got to pick on each other. And that was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> There's some great, there some great photos of David as a baby, like and as a child that did not make it into this book. David <laughs> at Morehouse that did not make it into this book. And I think maybe the next thing for us is to just put together like a coffee table photo book of all like these pictures that didn't make it in. Cause I would look at that. <laughs> you send them to me now and I will edit them in right here. I'll, I'll have them going for people watching on YouTube. They can see a little montage there yeah. you <laughs> running around when you're little, but all those photos, what they meant to me was that here she had so many accolades. In fact, you list them in overnight <laughs> code. And one of them is a replica of a cannon off the USS Constitution. And those are usually only given to you if you're a retired admiral or you're a general. And here she has one. But which of those artifacts now, really, of her life, do you think meant the most to her to say, I did that in my career? I was recognized for it. Well, I, you know, I'll tell you the very quick backstory on the cannon is that some, some she didn't realize it. They were surprised her at her retirement ceremony. Um, she did 33 and a half years with the Navy. And um, 
when we went to the retirement ceremony, she found out the people at the facility where they were making those cannons had stored some of the original uh, brass from the ship and stored it away, waiting for her retirement, and actually produced it specifically for her wow. and, and, and presented her with a note telling her that. But I, I would think that the most favorite, the one that she talked about the most in terms of accolade, uh, obviously she she was happy about the Meritorious Civilian Service Award because that opened up her career. But I think the one that really hit home for her the most was at her retirement, she was presented with a United States flag that had been flown over the U.S. Capitol with a certificate of authenticity uh, from the architect of the Capitol. That's something that can only be done at the request of a member of Congress. David Pryor, I think it was, that had made that request. Uh, but they presented that and the flag and the certificate to her at her retirement. And, you know, she was just so blown away. I, I remember she just, you know, tears were coming to her eyes. And then, you know, I thought something was wrong at first. And later on, I came with her and said, well, mom, you got so emotional about that one particular thing. You know, what what is the deal? And she says, you know, I've got all these other awards and all these mm -hmm. other honors. But to think to be honored by my nation and having a flag flown over the U.S. Capitol. And we grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Right, you know, right. spent a lot of time at the Capitol um, in, in her honor and then presented to her. Uh, she just said that just blew her away. She could never imagine that she would be officially recognized uh, by her her government and the Navy. And she loved the Navy. She loved the Navy. She was so proud to to support sailors and Marines. But to have that honor, to have that flag flown over was, I think, really one of the most emotional accolades she ever received. And I think one of the things that she also said a lot when she looked back on her life um, and when she considered moments like this flag or the Meritorious Civilian Service Award, one of the things she said a lot was, can you believe it? Yeah. Can you believe it? You know, she's like looking back, like I think once you get to this point and you know what it took to get these things, maybe you don't really, maybe everything that came before the flag didn't really sink in until then. Like it became very real and very tangible and very emotional because at one point in her life, she did not have the same rights as other people who did not look like her, who did not have the same skin color. And to have that American flag given to her for her service had to be overwhelming, had to be. I have one final question and it's a quote by you, David, here in Overnight Code. You say, mom dealt with so many obstacles yet always found a way to achieve despite the odds against her. Sometimes we look at a historical figure, we read about somebody and we say, she was special and your mother certainly was special. But then there's always that little devil that pops up on our shoulder that says, well, you can't do what she did because you're not special. She, oh, come on, look at all, look at the drive, look at the ability for, you can't even balance your checkbook. Look at the abilities she had. So we, where it's easy to just sit there and not do anything and leave her on the shelf and not let her inspire us. And I think that would be a tragedy. I'm so glad that you wrote the book about her and the page. You, you managed to do all this hard work. Also, and the two of you joined forces to do it. So I hours. <laughs> <laughs> now there's a sweet, sweet 70s rabbit. You know, we're all the same. Kids. We got millennials. Your students are watching this going, what? Wonder Twins? Who are they? 
Uh, to resist the attack, I will, I will pop that photo up for sure for people that are watching. Everyone else is going to have to Google it at home. But yeah, uh, I, now see if I said that, I would seem unserious. But I, <laughs> but I wanted to ask, how would your mother inspire somebody to pick up the book? I don't know that she would want to say, well, hey, pick up the book. But to be inspired by her story, certainly, clearly, that was important to her, to have people be inspired by her life. So what would she say to people to say, hey, read my story, see what you can do and see how you can overcome the obstacles in your life and stand on my shoulders, just as she stood on her mother's shoulders and the shoulders of so many others and say, you can do it. How would she pitch to them overnight code and have them add it to their shelf in a place of honor? Well, I, I love that question. And, you know, just to put it in context for your viewers, um, and listeners, uh, the, um, you know, my mother didn't really think that people, that society would even be interested in a book about her. You know, she had been asked over and over again uh, uh, by different people when she would go to these different events that she should write a book about her life and her career. Um, she initially thought they meant just her career, but later she realized kind of about her life as well. Um, and then it wasn't until she went on Good Morning America, and that's when it became more real. So, um, and then she 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 finally. So the point is, I'm making that um, one of her goals for for wanting to start this book project to begin with, because um, was that she wanted to use this book to live beyond her, and she wanted the book to do the same thing that she tried until she had her literally her almost her last breath in hospice. And that was to try to just encourage, inspire anybody that, that she could to, 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 to know that if they really believe in themselves and they have the acumen to actually accomplish that goal and they're willing to put in the hard work that they can do it and they need to be willing to put in the effort to overcome those obstacles that come in her way. And that was her goal. So I, I would encourage anybody that, um, and that's what she would say, I should say, that, that she would encourage people to get the book because it tells the story about her and does exactly what she was doing when she was alive and breathing. It, it, she wanted it to continue to inspire people down the road. So I really see this book as just her ability to do the, exactly the same thing as, that she did when, when she would go into the prisons. She, she would go to different uh, book clubs and she would go to libraries and go to STEM camps and talk to kids and churches and all different types of folks. And again, she didn't care who you were. The message was always the same. Yeah. She believed that's why God put her on this planet at the end. She, she said that, you know, this is what I was put here to do, inspire people. And she has, and will continue to thank God because of this. Well, how fortunate a planet we are to have had her and have shared it with yeah. her. And she left it a better one than the one that, that she arrived in. Certainly. Well, Dean, I'll tell you that the, the irony about what Paige said is so true because you know, even though my mother's been gone since 2018, I still have people showing up to the university saying they met my mother somewhere and she told them they need to go to school. So she's come, they want to come and enroll in school. And so <laughs> my job is to try to help figure out how to get them on that path. So there are still people that are, it's in their mind. The spark has been, you know, there and it's in, and I want that book to do the same thing for other people. Well, I do too. I'm, and I enjoyed it. She is alive to me having read that book. And 
whenever I get down or I think I can't do it or I start saying, oh, I, I can't possibly, I'm, I'm not good enough to do it. You know, she's right there on my shelf whispering <laughs> to me. And I have limited space here. So I, I want everybody listening today, Paige Bowers and Dr. David Montague, I thank you both. I hope they've all been inspired and see how much fun we're having today. So it's a fun oh, yeah. book too. Don't let, don't think because it's engineering. Well, I don't want somebody to give me that kick in the pants. We I'm wanted to have that. fun. Yeah, we all need that, right? We all, yeah. we all need that inspiration and Ray Montague's life gives it to us. I love that. And I hope that people will pick it up. And when they need to kick like the devil and holler for help, here the help will be right on your bookshelf. You'll be able to pick it up and find something in there. It's a book that I'm certain people will enjoy. They'll definitely get something out of it. It'll just make you sit up straighter in your chair and it'll make you tackle it. It'll make you maybe slough off those people who are telling you you can't do it. And you certainly will never again let a closed door stand in your way. You could scrubble up in through a window, right? Find a way to that final goal. This book was so inspiring. Paige, thank you so much for sending it to me. Thank and you thank, for you for, me. thank you for bringing along thank your co-author here. <laughs> thank thank you, you, Wonder Twins. I really appreciate it. I can't wait till your powers activate for your next book. I hope you find one to write together. Let's get that picture book going. I'll be right here and I will love to speak about it with you both. Thank you. Bye. Thank, thank you. you so much. We appreciate it. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, thank you both. And thanks to your mother. I'm glad that you decided to share her with all of us. You see, only in the United States would we have had an opportunity to do these things. In spite of the system, I was able to accomplish, not because of the system. Now, wasn't that a fun conversation? I hope it was as much fun for you to listen to and watch as it was for me to host. Again, the book is Overnight Code, The Life of Ray Montague, The Woman Who Revolutionized Naval Engineering. As always, you can find the Amazon link to purchase your copy at the historyauthor.com page for this episode. Every time you buy a book through our website, you upkeep the flux capacitor on our time machine, sailing along like usual. Like one of the ships that Ray Montague helped design. My thanks to the Wonder Twins, Paige Bowers and Dr. David Montague for sharing this inspiring woman with all of us today. She was an incredible engineer, an incredible woman, and just an incredible spirit. If I did my job, you'll go and pick up the book and really enjoy her adventures. Speaking of inspiring books, by the way, I like to occasionally take one down from my shelf and show it to you. This is my copy that I mentioned in the interview of My Early Life by Winston Churchill. This has been in so many prints over the years, and it really was his attempt to inspire people. And he still has a style that really holds up. In fact, they say that had he been killed during his work as a correspondent, he still would have been very well remembered because he just had such a way with words. So if you're a young person looking to pick up a book, one of Churchill's quotes is 20 to 25. Ah, those are the years. So that's your time to go make your mark. Make your mark like Ray Montague did and don't let anything stand in your way. She's such an inspiration. I want to thank Paige Bowers and David Montague for sharing her with all of us today. Remember, Paige's previous interview can be found in our archives. Her book was The General's Niece, the little-known de Gaulle who fought to free occupied France. You can find both of our guests through the HistoryAuthor.com page for this episode. You can also find me on Twitter at HistoryDean. 
Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. If you watched this interview via YouTube and enjoyed what you saw, please do subscribe. The visual elements are something that are a lot of fun for me to be adding. I feel like I'm back producing TV again, except I don't get called into work at 2 a.m. to do breaking news. So this is much better. That's it for this installment of the History Author Show. I hope you'll join us next time for an all-new trip into the past together right here on iHeartRadio. And if you're an iTunes subscriber, please take a minute to leave us a review. Until our next trip into the past together, thanks so much for time traveling with us today, and have a great week. We still call it Broadway, but what's in a name? Take it from Georgie, it isn't the same. On the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys. Oh, New York ain't New York anymore.